What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. And we're going to be joined today by my friend, comrade, sister, Dr. Melina Abdullah, who is also the founder and director of Black Lives Matter Grassroots, not to be confused with the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation. Good morning, sis. Thanks so much for being here. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. There is so much to get into. Um, I want to start, though, with the lawsuit and any updates you have on the struggle to free Black Lives Matter from the usurpers at the Global Foundation. Uh, How are things going and what's happening with the lawsuit at this moment in particular that you can talk about? Well, we're still fighting. Like, we're fighting for the release of our funds, the release of our platforms. Anybody who's receiving emails or following BLK Lives Matter on social media, um, I'm sure has seen a pivot in what they post. Um, It seems like it's not about, you know, justice or racial justice or ending state-sanctioned violence anymore, but anything black, right? And so they've kind of turned over these platforms to um posting about parties and concerts and hbcu homecoming week and those kinds of things and you know i i I don't think that there's anything wrong with those things i'm a graduate of an hbcu and my daughter's there now and that's not the work of black lives matter if people wanted to donate to hbcus they should write a check to howard or spellman or clark or any of the phenomenal more than 100 HBCUs, but that's not the work of Black Lives Matter. In fact, nobody on that leadership team or so-called leadership team even went to an HBCU. Um, So you'll see a pivot. And part of that is um, kind of a depoliticization of Black Lives Matter, a de-radicalization of Black Lives Matter by the Global Network Foundation. We know that the work that we were initiated to do, the work that we were birthed to do, is about challenging um, the state, challenging state violence, ending state-sanctioned violence against black people. And so we need our platforms back so we can uplift people like Jaheim McMillan, who was 15 years old when he was murdered by police in Gulfport, Mississippi. I just spoke with his mother yesterday and we're organizing preparing for him to be buried um, on Monday. Um, We should be uplifting what's happening right here in Los Angeles with, um, you know, four of the most powerful um, city leaders conspiring to undermine black power. Um, And so we're still, in terms of the lawsuit against the Global Network Foundation, hoping that they have a moment of enlightenment and that they'll release our platforms and our dollars um, so that we can do the work of Black Lives Matter, which we're going to do whether we have resources or not. But it's so much more effective when we have our platforms, when we have our resources. All right. And just, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to assume that folks heard uh, our, the interview that we did. I believe it was last month where we walked through all of the details about how we got to this place where there's this division. Um, but... For folks who don't know, I'll give a synopsis real fast, and then you can correct me, uh, Melina, uh, if I get something wrong or I leave something out. But essentially, when co-founder Patrice Cullors transitioned out, she appointed this 
person who goes by Shalomia Bowers to be the transition person. Um, and he was supposed to then turn the reins over to you, who've been at the table since Black Lives Matter was born. Um, and then got in there and saw those dollars and decided he wasn't going anywhere. And as a matter of fact, he has been, in, he's the one that was in leadership for a lot of the scandal uh, utilization of, of dollars on things that have made, you know, the, the public angry. Um, not, not you. Yeah, I just want to be really clear. It was not you. And when you pushed back and tried to assert, right, your, your, your place uh, as the next leader of, the, of Black Lives Matter Global, as Patrice Cullors had intended, that's when he froze your money, locked you out of the social media accounts, and, and basically shut you down and started a public attack. Correct? Did I get that right? That's, that's why you um, get paid the not big bucks. That's right. That's absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things we have talked about a lot, says both, you know, on the air and off, is the fact that you you were, you know, these are social media platforms that that you helped build up, right? Um, that you've been locked out of, and that's where like the masses are following. And so, um, you have started new social media platforms, correct? And if that's correct, I want you to shout it out to the listeners right now, so they can shift if they choose uh, who and where they're they're following the activity of Black Lives Matter grassroots. That's right. So we had to start new social media platforms, which are brand new and we're just building. We want everybody to follow BLM Grassroots. BLM Grassroots. That's where you'll see um, the actual work on the ground, what we're actually doing as Black Lives Matter. As, um, as we just mentioned, the work is not stopping. Um, so we know that this is an attack on our work, which is you know, this is the work of black liberation. We're not slowing down um, the work. We would just be much more effective at it if we had the resources that we built up. So BLK Lives Matter has about 4 million followers on Instagram. And, you know, if we were able to get the word out to 4 million people that we all need to go to Gulfport, Mississippi to support Jaheim McMillan's family, that's much more effective than... Um, you know, spreading the word to 2,000 people, which is what we have uh, about what we have right now on BLM grassroots. So let's grow that platform. Let's make sure that everyone is following BLM grassroots so that they can get the word from us about what's happening on the ground. You know, Melina, and for transparency, I was a a co-founder of the Black Lives Matter chapter here in the Bay Area, which doesn't exist anymore, but we remain in close solidarity and, and contact and allies with and in, in, in the work with uh, Black Lives Matter grassroots. So yeah, I got a bias here. Uh, and I, I feel a little bit of a way. One of the things I'm noticing though, Melina, I wasn't going to talk about this, but as you were talking, it just is ringing in my soul to talk about is, you know, here in Oakland, um, the attacks that are happening, you know, on me, on APTP, on Community Ready Corps, on our, our people's champion on city council, Carol Fife, a lot of those are being led by black faces, right? Um, what's happening with you, right? There's black folks fighting black folks. And, and you know, being a, a student of movement, I just, I'm like, every cycle 
of when the movement flows, right, and, and we make in progress and we bang it on the system and we're pushing for change and we're base building and there's some movement, right? It's little and slow, but it's some. I mean, we're having conversations about state terror in ways that weren't even possible, uh, you know, five years ago. And I can't help but think, you know, in the same way that, that it was COINTELPRO pulling these strings, that a similar effort is happening right now um, in an effort to, to destroy, interrupt, and shut down this iteration of the movement for black lives, of uh, the struggle for black liberation. Your thoughts? There, I mean, this is absolutely a concerted effort, right? You know, I don't want to um, put any jackets on anybody in particular, but I, I do know that there's a concerted effort, and we don't even have to be... <clears throat> conspiracy theorists to think that one <clears throat> you're right we simply have to be students of history but two um if we're not even students of history if we just look at what's happening there was an all-out attack on black lives matter not just by the radical right not just by you know january right. 6th terrorists not just by donald trump but also by the Democratic Party, right? Also, right. you know, the Democratic Party launched into this big campaign to fund the police, right? Um, and then they, of course, use um, black faces as well within the party to say, you got to do this, otherwise you're going to have Donald Trump. Well, you know, there aren't just two choices. Choices are expansive. And if we think about what happened in 2020, the world cracked wide open and we were able to say what we've been saying for many years. Defund the police wasn't a new mantra, right? We've been saying that. That was our lightweight way of saying abolish the police, right? We were saying defund the police because we thought it resonated and it did. It resonated with everybody across the political spectrum when they looked at budgets and saw that most major cities are spending half of their city's general resources on police. Everybody across the spectrum said that's too much. And so unfortunately, it's not just the radical right, you know, people dressing up like, you know, uh, uh, um, cavemen and climbing um, the Capitol building <laughs> who are saying it, right? It's Joe Biden, right? It's Joe Biden. It's, Lord, and yes. it's any, anybody who's tied to the mainstream political system has been propping it up and really doing everything that they can to squash Black Lives Matter. But we won't be squashed. We're going to continue to organize. And so I think that um, you're right, that there has been a concerted effort, that this is not just something people stumbled upon and they've also the the opposition recognizes that um using black faces on white supremacy has always been an effective tool and so they've That's tried that with your kanye west with your candace owens with your herschel walkers but also with your mainstream black elected officials who have you know kind of placed their own political ambition above what's good for the whole of black people. That's right. I mean, and I'll also add is, is it's not even just this, the elected officials, right? Like I'm seeing some of these again, you know, you're right. You got to be careful of put, about putting jackets on folks because that can get folks, uh, you know, 
but but I, I see it in the streets. I mean, I mean, some of the, the, the biggest folks that are trying to tear down all of the progress we've made here, right, are transplants from other cities that plop down to kill themselves a leader and then launch an attack. And, you know, we have to keep reminding folks that all, 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 all skin folk and kin folk um, I also want to just quickly uh, give a shout out to James Birch, right, who started banging that drum around Defund almost nine years ago and, and put, did, all, did so much of that work around budgets. And um, in terms of conspiracy theories, you know, Brother Taha Ox says, uh, just because you're paranoid don't mean they ain't watching you. So, Right. Um, <laughs> Look, I say I'm a conspiracy that, that, that realist. That, right? A conspiracy realist. There you go. There are real there conspiracies. Go. That's what we're witnessing in Los Angeles, right? There are real conspiracies. Yeah. People are actually gathering in rooms, conspiring to diminish and undermine black power and black community. So I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a conspiracy realist because I understand that there's real conspiracies. Now we don't want to go all the way down every hole because that could um, be damaging to um, getting this work done. But we have to remember that there are concerted efforts to make sure that what we want, which is a transformation, not just tinkering around edges of fundamentally unjust systems. We need a transformation for our people to be free, um, that there's a lot of folks who don't want that transformation to happen. And that's because they're benefiting from the system as it stands. That's right. And then I actually want to get into to folks sitting in rooms conspiring. But the last thing I'll say about this is, you know, you're talking about Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. I just want to remind people uh, when when Brother Malcolm talked about the Dixiecrats, right? Now, at that time, he was specifically referring to, to you know, white Southerners that were in the Democratic Party. But, but I think across the board, that concept um, applies, and, and folks should definitely listen to uh, that speech, the ballot or the bullet. All right, Melina, I want to move on to Los Angeles City Council, where three members of City Council um, were caught because recording of a meeting was leaked, making incredibly racist comments about their colleagues. Um, this is former President Nori Martinez, uh, Kevin uh, DeLeon, who used to be in the California State Assembly, and Gil Cedillo, who also has a very long political career in Los Angeles uh, and, and uh, a union official. Former listeners that, that haven't been paying attention to L.A. headlines, walk through what happened and what was said. Yeah, so last Sunday, the audio tapes were leaked. Um, I guess they're not tapes anymore, but they're, uh, the audio was leaked, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, of these three city council members, along with the head of the L.A. County Federation of Labor, Ron Herrera, and I want to be very clear um, that he's not just some union leader. This is the largest county federation of labor, local federation of labor in the entire nation. It's extremely powerful. So these three city council members were meeting with Ron Herrera. The meeting was called to talk about redistricting and talk about specifically how to draw the district lines in a way that diminishes black community. There's three um, historically black city council districts in the city of Los Angeles. So I wanna 
lay that foundation because what people ran with and what is also important is how blatantly racist and how extreme the use of language was in that meeting. So Nuri Martinez, um, who was city council president, the first Latina to become city council president, um, all four of these were Latinx. Um, they're, they're some of the most um, powerful Latinx leaders in Los Angeles. Um, Nuri Martinez began, um, and what was uplifted first is that she called the black child of a city council member. She used all kinds of um, horrible language Terrific. towards this child. Terrific. And I don't even want to call him a child, but he's a baby. He was two years old when she was referring to him um, in Spanish as a little monkey, as um, I don't want to repeat some of the other things that she said about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was really, really terrible. And then said that she would take him around the corner and beat him, right? Because he, he was moving all around on some float for King Day, right? And, you know, threats of violence towards this baby boy, right? And people were horrified and rightly so horrified that she spoke about this black child in this way. Um, there were other comments about black people. Um, there were comments then hurled about Oaxacans and indigenous people. Um, they, they talked about everybody on those tapes. They talked about Armenians and queer folks and renters and, you know, just a laundry list of people that they and groups that they despised. But I think that um, and, and they specifically, Kevin DeLeon specifically um, talked about black movement and how black movement, he compared the um, movement for black power and black organizers in Los Angeles. He compared us to the Wizard of Oz and said, they want you to think there's a thousand of them, but there's when you pull back the curtain, there's only 25 black people yelling. Um, and so people were really taken aback by these comments. And part of the reason we were taken aback is these four have for decades um, proclaimed themselves to be folks who are in coalition with black people. Kevin DeLeon Listen, is that's my where I got student. stuck. Right. I, listen, you know, I used to work at Coco, right? So, so Community Coalition, and, and he was, you know, when we were doing political order, he was an ally. I almost fell over when I saw his name. Gil Cedillo goes back decades. Right? Like, to listen. like civil, I mean, to Black Power era organizing, right? Um, he, these are people, Nuri Martinez, who's one of the newer ones, um, was mentored by Herb Wesson, who's a black man, right? And she says right. some of the most blatantly anti-black racist stuff. Uh, Ron Herrera, and this is one that really hits my heart because it resonates for me. Um, you know, my brother's wife is Mexican, right? So my niece and nephew are half black, half Mexican. Um, and Ron Herrera's granddaughters are black. His, you know, they're black and Mexican. And you were talking about black people and your own grandchildren are black. I mean, it just, it just hurt my heart. And I think a lot of people were um, voiced outrage based on that hurt, right? Based on the pain of how that lands when you're talking 
about black baby boys in that way. But I think that we, as we, um, and Mike Bonin, who's the father of um, the little boy who was talked about, um, I consider him one of my um, dearest allies on city council, right? He's um, been the one who's written with Black Lives Matter probably the hardest um, out of the current city council uh, makeup. Um, so my heart goes out to them and to that little boy. And I reminded Mike that, you know, Jacob has a lot of black aunties who are, are ready to ride for him. Right. Um, right. But I, I think that we also have to not lose sight of the context, but there's the hurt and there's the pain, but there's also the harm that they actually conspired to make district maps that diminish black power. They conspired to turn over black seats um, and rip black power away from black community. And so we can't lose sight of the fact in the midst of the hurt and the pain is also the real harm that took effect because these city council districts were redistricted based on the maps that these four helped to develop. These four have had a hand in so many policies, including housing, including how many jobs go to black people and you know demands made by organizations like the Black Workers Center. Now we know why they didn't meet the demand for a thousand black jobs in the city because they were conspiring to diminish black power. And so I want us to be very clear that, um, you know, it's about the hurt and the language and the rhetoric, but more impactful is what they've been doing to black people in the city of Los Angeles, pushing us out. We're now down to almost, um, you know, less than 9%, around 8% of the city. Um, we're being pushed out to places like Lancaster and Rancho Cucamonga and you know, all kind out of the state completely sometimes because we simply can't afford to live here. Um, you know, I want right. us to think about how they've had a hand in racial profiling where black people are um, profiled at a rate that's three times the rate of everyone else, but are less likely than anybody else to have contraband in our vehicle or on our person, right? What does that mean that we're 42% of the unhoused population, but 8% of the city. This is not just by happenstance. People are conspiring to create these conditions for black Los Angeles. So the, the public was outraged, um, lots and lots of people calling in, very angry, demanding that those three step down. So far, well, last time I checked, and uh, Nuri Martinez, the, the president has stepped down but De Leon and Cedillo are refusing. Is this accurate? That's right. So we have um, been calling for their resignation um, in the city of Los Angeles. You know, they have to resign. There's no mechanism to remove um, public officials for, you know, public officials to remove pub other public officials from office. And that's some sometimes a good thing, right? We don't want political beef to be a reason for removal. Um, however, when we look at this, when we look at what's happened, and again, Kevin DeLeon is one of the worst offenders of those four um, because his attack was specifically on black organizing, not just a feeling about black people, but black organizing in particular. 
So our primary demand right now is for the two who are hanging on, Kevin DeLeon and Yosa Dio, to step down now. Um, Yosa Dio lost his seat, so he'll be out in short order in just about a month and a half. He'll have to step down because Ionisis Hernandez beat him, um, beat out an incumbent, um, incumbent Yosa Dio for his seat. But Kevin DeLeon has more than two years left on his term. That means two more years to undermine black power, two more years to um, create conditions that um, exacerbate homelessness. And so we're saying that he has to step down. So he called the 25 black people yelling. So on Saturday night, we went to his house. <laughs> we put on... <laughs> We put on numbers, and we had exactly 25 black people yelling outside his house. And then we declared (laughs) that we are not leaving. And so we have launched a 24-7 encampment in front of Kevin DeLeon's house. This is now day five um, of that encampment. And we're not going anywhere until Kevin DeLeon gets off of city council um, what we've gotten other city council members to pledge is that if Yosa Dio or De Leon show up at city council meetings, that they will leave. Um, and that's something, but it's not enough. Um, we need to um, make sure that the city doesn't con- continue to conduct business as usual. And, um, you know, that means with or without De Leon and Cedillo. We know that they were the ones caught on tape. We're not confident that others aren't. Um, they recently, yesterday, had the city council meeting despite protests. Um, they used LAPD to beat protesters. My little brother from another mother, Joseph, who's on the Black Lives Matter Los Angeles core team, one of the most brilliant organizers I know, um, they, as they were trying to gain access to city hall, he was brutally beaten by LAPD, um, as were Meraki and Ray, who are both women, um, beaten with batons as they tried to gain access to City Hall, which is a public building. Um, And they went ahead and had that city council meeting anyway and elected um, Paul Krikorian um, to the presidency. I I wanted to get into that next. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So so let's let's go here because Paul Krikorian was elected. This is um I, I, I don't know. Maybe my thinking here is is wrong. You, you do have two at least two sitting black city council members, Marquise Harris Dawson and and Curran Price. But we have three because Heather Hutt, Heather three. Hutt, also. Heather Hutt. So there's three. Uh-huh. Okay. So the, there there's three three black options uh, to go with here, uh, but n- none of them were appointed. This Paul Krikorian, who's a white man, talk to me, talk to us about, about him. Well, we actually had a unified meeting of black organizers on the Monday after the, um, audio came out. And we actually had unified support for Mike Bonin, the one who was, whose son was talked oh, about oh, yes. on the That's tape. Right. Mike Bonin is white. However, he's moved in alignment with black people. He has a black son. And the, the primary reason we wanted him is this election was for the remainder of the term, which is just through December. And Mike Bonin chose not to run for reelection. So there would be no um, issues around political ambition. 
right? He would just be there to literally serve the people. Um, and so we wanted Mike Bonin to be elected to the presidency. That didn't happen. Um, as you point, none of the three black elected, black city council members were elected. Um, and instead, Paul Krikorian was elected at a city council meeting, which shouldn't have happened in the first place. Paul Krikorian, um, it's hard to say this. Wait, given it, it what, shouldn't have happened in the first place, right? Because Mike, uh, Mike Bonin uh, was dealing with COVID and folks did ask to wait until everybody could be present. Is that right? No, there, nobody was really dealing with COVID. Um, Mitch O'Farrell, who was the acting president, um, claimed that there was a COVID exposure. Not any, not okay. that anybody had it, but that somebody was that there was an exposure on Tuesday. Um, but remember, they had city council meeting on Wednesday. This is the last week that we had to shut down. Then they attempted to have city council meeting on Friday. So then all of a sudden, this Tuesday, they say there was a COVID exposure mm -hmm. last Tuesday, and that's why they had to um, go virtual. We know that that's a lie. They're trying to get around the Brown Act, which requires them to have public engagement. And so that's why they moved it online. Um, the city council meeting shouldn't have happened because our demand is the city council should not meet and shouldn't do any work until De Leon and Gil Cedillo resign. Um, they do have the power to do that. Um, and they chose not to, they chose to ignore the voices of the people and meet anyway, and then elect Krikorian. And let me just say, um, what I was going to say about him, Krikorian, if there's anybody worse than Nuri Martinez, and I know that's a hard thing to say, um, given all that she said, but Paul Krikorian is worse than Nuri Martinez. Paul Krikorian is worse Why? than Nuri Martinez. Paul Krikorian is council member for the fifth city council district, which is um, predominantly Jewish. And um, what he did in 2020 when we did, um, we had a bunch of Black Lives Matter protests in that area because it's also the district where a lot of um, kind of affluent shopping takes place. So the Grove is in that district, right? Um, so there's a big, there was a big protest off a of third in Fairfax um, with tens of thousands of people. And what Paul Krikorian did is, very similar to what Tevin DeLeon did is he tried to go to Jewish um, residents and say, see, Black Lives Matter is anti-Semitic. Um, and he tried to rile up discontent and create divisions between Black and Jewish communities. Um, Paul Krikorian is also on record when someone asked him, what should the city do about Black Lives Matter? What do we do about Black Lives Matter? He said the answer to Black Lives Matter is more police. So this is who the uh, president of the city council is at the moment. And this is why I say he's and, even worse than Nuri Martinez. And yet in his speech after he was elected, he promised to unify the council. That's yeah, he, said. he will unify the council behind white supremacy because that's who he is, a white supremacist. And unfortunately, in Los Angeles, we think about it a, a certain way. 
But Los Angeles is very steeped, deeply steeped in white supremacy. Um, the person before him, Mitch O'Farrell, who was acting president for, I guess, a week, um, Mitch O'Farrell is the one who called police on people at Echo Park Lake and has been, you know, moving around and really kind of leading in many instances the gentrification of Los Angeles. So, you know, any unity that Krikorian um, claims that he's going to bring is bringing city council back to business as usual, which is um, a business of white supremacist capitalism. You're listening to Law and Disorder. I'm your host, Kat Brooks, for a conversation with Dr. Molina Abdullah, who is the co-founder of Black Lives Matter Los Angeles, the co-founder and director of Black Lives Matter Grassroots, which is a national network. Speaking of white supremacists, let's move on to the sheriff's race. <laughs> oh, uh, Alex Villanueva, who you have been, you know, in battle with for, for a long time. This is a dude um, that has sanctioned uh, gangs, literal gangs of sheriffs inside of his department. Um, I, talk to us about Alex Villanueva uh, and and then also, like, I'm always interested in this because I hear, right, like, I definitely supported getting rid of our sheriff, uh, uh, Greg, um, and knowing that a sheriff is just a sheriff, and, and already the sheriff-elect has proven she's just going to continue his legacy. So I know you want Villanueva out of there, but I imagine you're not advocating for any sheriff at all. But start with this track record. I know that was a lot. Sorry. Part right, right. So any sheriff is going to be terrible. Right, because they're a sheriff. Um, but Alex Villanueva, and remember, we're talking about Los Angeles County, where the last one wound up in prison, right, on federal charges, mm -hmm. right? Alex Villanueva is by far the worst sheriff, the most violent and despicable sheriff in L.A. County history, by far. Um, I can't imagine... Um, anyone being more vile than Alex Villanueva or damaging than Alex Villanueva. Alex Villanueva, um, we suspect of actually being in one of these sheriff's deputy gangs. And we always say, Google LASD gangs, Google LASD gangs, um, to pull up some of the reporting that confirms a lot of what I'm about to share, which is that um, within Los Angeles County, least, um, and probably before that. But what we have record of is um, beginning at least in the early 80s, there was, um, there has been uh, sheriff deputy gangs. So when I say this, I mean gangs in the truest sense, right? That they commit crimes together, they jump each other in, they frame up um, community members for crimes. Um, they uh, do a lot of conspiring um, against black neighborhoods and black people and brown neighborhoods and brown people. Um, I think about people like Jay Burton, who is the founder of the um, Black Lives Matter prison chapter, and the fact that he went in when he was 16 years old. Um, he just celebrated his 50th birthday, um, and he was framed up by the Linwood Vikings, um, a sheriff's gang that pinned um, a murder on 
um, Jay Burton. So this has been something that's kind of been plaguing um, uh, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department for decades and something that has been protected by Alex Villanueva. So when it was raised and exposed, he didn't, um, you know, rebuke them. What he said is, oh, these are just clicks. We have good um, evidence that Villanueva himself is likely a member of the East L.A. Bandidos who are responsible for the murder of um, a young brown man named Anthony Vargas. And so um, Alex Villanueva has been really, really terrible protecting sheriff's gangs, refusing to be held accountable, um, but also, and this is why I say despicable, rarely will I use that term when we're talking about politics and elected officials and the sheriff is an elected um, seat, but despicable and vile because when families push back and say, we want justice for our children, we want justice for our loved ones, Alex Villanueva has actually doxed family members. So the family of Anthony Vargas had their name and information put out by Alex Villanueva himself. He put a target on their backs. He has been using his deputies to harass not just the most outspoken aunties. His aunties, um, uh, uh, Anthony Vargas's aunties, are phenomenal organizers and leaders, um, but also their children. So, like following. 14-year-old cousins of Anthony Vargas' home, like using um, sheriff's deputies to terrorize them. Um, so this is what we're looking at. And so we're saying that, um, yes, all sheriffs are bad. And, you know, the worst of the worst is Alex Villanueva. He's up for re-election on November 8th. And we're hoping that we've exposed enough about him that voters will vote for someone else. Right. Okay. We only have oof, four minutes left, and I want to quickly touch. I wanted to spend more time, but it went by very quickly on the mayoral race um, happening also in Los Angeles. The two candidates, one being uh, former Congresswoman Karen Bass, who's also the founder of Community Coalition, long history of being a people's advocate and the grassroots organizer. And then there's Rick Caruso, who is a billionaire mall developer. What's the latest there uh, on, on the mayoral? Last I checked, Karen Bass was in the lead, even though the GOP tried to run a narrative that um, Los Angeles didn't want a progressive in the seat and did some of the, the div divisive um, disinformation tactics that they've been employing all over the country. But it looks like she, she has surpassed that and, and possibly on her way to the mayoral seat. Yeah, Karen Bass is going to win. Um, so she's polling way ahead. Rick Caruso will dump a bunch of money in in the last weeks leading up to November 8th. But Karen Bass is on track to win. Unless she loses it herself, she's going to win. Um, but what is disappointing and what we should pay attention to um, is that Caruso is um, getting some support from really popular people like Snoop Dogg, like uh, Kim Kardashian. The lesson here is don't pay attention to rappers when they tell you um, something about politics, unless those rappers are people who are 
um, are steeped in politics. So I'm not talking about your Boots Rileys. I'm talking about those who have no voice in politics until they're bought off by those who want to use their celebrity to advance their political agendas. Um, so Karen Bass will win, and then we'll have to hold her accountable as well. Right, and that's my last question. And you, you know I have mad love for, for Karen Bass. She is why I am who I am. My first organizing job, Coco, was where I learned to be an organizer and got my political education. And uh, Melina, she did vote uh, or support, right, more police and more funding for police. How are you straddling that line with her as a Black Lives Matter leader? So Karen was a very close friend for more than 25 years. We have dinner together, meals together. I'm on her congressional council. When she put out her public safety plan, um, she called me ahead of time. But when I saw it, um, it was just horrific, right? She wants to increase police presence. She wants to use all the things she knows are not good for the community, right? And so those are um, problems that's harmful. And that's why I say we have to hold her accountable. It's caused an immense strain on our personal relationship, but we have to prioritize community ahead. And I hope that our um, friendship weathers it. There's always already been a bunch of hits to our friendship, but um, we have to, we have to demand what's right for community. So we're calling on everybody to remain engaged and not just even when you think it's a friend and a progressive and a black woman, not just say we're leaving her to her own devices, um, that she has to be held accountable by community as well. And that is why <laughs> some of us need to, to stay in the streets and not, not go into the belly of the beast. I, I, I swear they, they start delivering you a special water as soon as you get into office. All right, Melina, I, we've got to leave it there. I will be seeing you in a couple of weeks in Gulfport, Mississippi, um, to support the family of Jaheim McMillan. Do you know, do they have a GoFundMe for the funeral? They do not that I know of. Um, so I'll okay. look it up, and if there is one, I'll share it with you. Um, the funeral's been moved to this Monday. So please, everybody, pay attention and know about what happened to Jaheim McMillan. Um, and also, please follow BLM Grassroots so that you can hear what's happening in Gulfport, in Los Angeles, and all around the world, um, and the good work that's being done on the ground. All right, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Rask and the Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.